and welcome to Living In, With, and For Christ, a podcast dedicated to looking at the things around us from a Christian perspective, seeking to give glory to Christ in any and every situation. Today, Pastor Brian and myself will continue our discussion on eschatology, the study of end times. So saddle up, boys and girls. Here we go. Welcome, and thanks for joining us again um, for this second part of the, or third part. Yes, third. Third part of our uh, eschatology discussion. Yep. And last time, uh, as I said, I left with more questions that I did answer, so I'm going to give you one more crack at it. Yep. <laughs> See if you can you can uh, explain yourself. Yes. <laughs> so what we started, and I'm not going to recap everything, but if you know, if you go back, we just wanted to do talk about the three primary views in the early church, which was amillennial, postmillennial, and premillennial. And postmillennialism pretty much kind of died off, and I can't imagine. I don't know any. I don't know anyone currently that holds to that. Um, there probably is somebody, but it's not a very popular view within the church. Uh, premillennialism was kind of the predominant view in the very early first two centuries, and upon the third and fourth and fifth century, premillennialism was um, condemned, and the Eastern Orthodox Church believes that it was condemned in the Council of Constantinople in 381. I don't believe there's enough evidence to really truly support that, but um, the, the statement in the Nicene Creed, as we talked about last week, um, was their idea that it was condemning this idea of a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. Amillennialism began to rise up. Uh, Origen and Augustine were chief proponents of that. Uh, Augustine kind of systematized it in his book, I believe it's called The City of God. And uh, that became kind of the primary view for years. Then we kind of saw a resurgence of premillennialism, especially within the American church. And then we looked at the two views within premillennialism, uh, the two primary ones. One is called dispensational premillennialism, which is a more modern interpretation of the end times. And then classic premillennialism, which is rooted in, again, those early church fathers like, you know, Irenaeus and Justin Martyr, like we talked about last time. And so, as we were talking about this, it really all centers around chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, verses 1 through 5, and 1 through 6 too, but 1 through 5 are kind of the primary ones. And you've got a couple things to deal with in that text. You've got the thousand-year reign of Christ. Is it literal or is it symbolic? You've got the two resurrections, and you've got the two deaths. What do they mean? And so, I'm going to have you read Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, and I'll just kind of give you an overview of the different interpretations of that, and then we can fire away with those questions. And I'm not seeking to answer all of them. Uh, what I'm basically trying to do is give people a general information of how these are looked at within the primary views. All right, here we go. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while." 
Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who had the authority to judge was committed. And I also saw the souls who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast, its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is most certainly true. (laughs) (laughs) But how is it true? (laughs) So so again, I'm just going to overview the amillennial view, which is kind of the easiest to explain. Uh, the thousand years that's talking about here is just Christ's reign through the church. So Satan is bound currently uh, through the proclamation of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, you can say he's bound with a long leash. You know, that's kind of kind of the idea of amillennialism. Okay, and we... the effects of Satan and evil still have a, you know an influence on this world. Uh, but he did not have the freedom that he had before Christ came, lived, died, and rose again. Okay. So before I start to interrupt, but is Satan bound in all three of these views? Yeah, at different times. But if you were today and you were saying, I am pre-millennialism or I'm amillennialism yeah. or dispensational, yeah. is he bound in all of them right now at this no. time? Okay. <laughs> no, if we just strictly strict to stick to, it's not that Satan has power over the gospel. So he, it's bound limiting. But what this is talking about, what this text is talking about, is two different times from a premillennial view versus an amillennial view. So an amillennial view, when you if you ask the question, is Satan bound right now? An amillennialist would say yes, through the reign of the church and the proclamation of the gospel, Satan is bound. Um, the premillennial will would say, no, in this text, that he will be bound when Jesus comes again to reign for a literal 1,000 years on this earth. Then he is bound. And so, again, it's whether you take it literal or figuratively or symbolic. So we talked about all millennial and that it's a symbolic picture of this. Uh, What I want to focus on is kind of the verse uh, 5 and then also verse 6. So verse 5 and 6, just to reiterate, says the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. And what this is talking about from an amillennial perspective is we will receive new glorified bodies at Christ's second coming, correct? Right. We haven't received those. So people who have died previous you know, to you and me are in heaven, and their souls are in the presence of God. This is my strong conviction. But they haven't received their glorified bodies until Christ comes again. That's the picture of what an amillennialist would say, and that's what that's talking about. Verse 6, blessed is the, the holy one who shares in the first resurrection. So the first resurrection for an amillennialist is being born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. What's born must be born of water and of the Spirit. New right. creation in Christ Jesus. It has to do with that. So the first resurrection is literally salvation. Because, you know, we see Lazarus in that picture of the resurrection. We see um, the Apostle Paul talk about that. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, if we're dead, we have to be resurrected. Right. You know, if you've been buried with Christ in his baptism, you've been also raised with Christ to new life. You know what I'm saying? Correct. So 
The first resurrection from an all-millennial perspective is talking about salvation. Uh, blessed is the one who shares in that, because over this, um, over such, the second death has no power. Meaning, when we physically die, we're gonna, we're going to heaven. Right. That physical death is really not a big deal. But the second death that's talked about here is actually talking about damnation to hell. And verse fourteen, could you read verse fourteen? Because verse fourteen actually tells us what the second death is. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So there we go. We've got that whole banishment and punishment into eternal hell is the second death. So the first death is obvious. The first death is just physical death. Because death entered into the world. Because before sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve would have lived forever. You know, death entered in. And so they did surely die, and they did, even though they lived, you know, a long time. <laughs> uh, but death, you know, reigns in our bodies, and we are all moving closer and closer toward the time where we physically die, and then our souls will go to one of two places. And that's the reality. Now, for a premillennialist, and let's talk about classic premillennialism, what they would see is this is that there's going to be a tribulation, and they would ascribe primarily to a seven-year tribulation. Some might not put a number on it, but the church will go through the tribulation, and the church will be persecuted in a way that it's never been persecuted before. Jesus lightly talks about this in—well, not lightly, but talks about this in Matthew 24. Uh, an amillennialist would not disagree with that. We, we ascribe that there will be a tribulation before the second coming of Christ, but we don't put a number on it. And I'm saying we because that's what I ascribe to, though I fully admit I could totally be wrong, and I'm actually willing to be wrong for the sake of the truth. Um, But this is kind of what I see Scripture as. But again, a premillennialist would would say there's seven-year tribulation, and at the end of that tribulation, Jesus will rapture or take up the believing Christians who are still alive— and they will go be, be with God. Jesus will come down to earth and reign for a literal 1,000 years. And during that literal 1,000 years, Satan will be bound, as described earlier in this text. Okay. And then at the end of that 1,000 years, will be released. And then evil will rise up again. And then the final judgment will come. A dispensational premillennialist believes pretty much the same thing, except the church is raptured at the beginning of the tribulation. So the church will not go through the seven-year tribulation that happens right before Christ comes down and reigns on earth and binds Satan. Oh, okay, just for, their, just for the sake of their argument, where do they get that? So both premillennial views believe in a seven-year tribulation period right. where the church will be attacked like it's never been attacked before. Um, that seven years kind of is primarily taken out of Daniel chapter 9. Um, I think it's what, verses 23 and 24. Um, and they interpret it that way, and that's where they come up with that seven years. And they would see the first resurrection as that rapture before the tribulation from a dispensational view. So when it talks about the first resurrection... That, that doesn't really make sense, though. Well... And maybe you're beginning to see something in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is revealing it to you. But they would see that first resurrection at the beginning reign of the literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. That's the first resurrection. The second one happens at the final judgment. Okay. And both a classic premillennialist and a dispensational premillennialist would kind of ascribe to that reality. The only difference is... One is raptured before the tribulation, 
the first resurrection. One is raptured at the end of the tribulation, first resurrection, but both of them agreed that the second resurrection happens at the final judgment and where the new heavens and the new earth is coming. Okay. So hopefully I explained that clearly. And so again, it's, it's really how you interpret these six verses. Uh, are they symbolic? Are they taught? Is, is that first resurrection talking about salvation or is it talking about a rapture, whether it be pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation or post-tribulation? And which one is it talking about? And, you know, honestly, that's what you have to try to discern. Wow. It's hard to believe that this big topic comes down to these six verses. And what's interesting in, in kind of like baptism, so you, you know, you grew up Baptist, so you grew right. up with adult baptism or, right. you know, at a, a, an age of accountability, so to right. speak. Um, you know, I grew up Lutheran. I was baptized as an infant and that actually has existed from the earliest days of the church onward. And we see evidence of both existing side by side and no one ever really having a heated battle about this. Um, even Origen, as he talked very strongly against those who held a premillennial view, he never said that they were her- heretics, nor did Augustine. You know what I mean? And Irenaeus, as he said, those who hold to an all-millennial view, though I hold to a premillennial view, they're not heretics, but they're wrong, (laughs) you know, and Justin Barter said basically the same thing. And so you can see both premillennial and amillennial kind of, kind of existing side by side within the church from the beginning of the church upon Christ's resurrection and ascension until today. Right. And you still kind of see that it's just at different times, one view ends up gaining a little bit more steam or, or more popularity than another. Yeah. I, I I will tell you this. I don't I don't know where we are on time or what we've done, but um you know, I said I had a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you know, I, I, I respect your opinion and, and I know you're a godly man and you're 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 a theologian. Yeah. I mean but I think it's up to me to read this scripture and ask God to to speak to me and explain this to me so I can come up. I I think that's part of, you know, kind of part of my problem when I was a kid and just Baptist, you just believe what somebody told you Mm -hmm. and you can be, I mean, you could be leading me astray and I would have no idea Mm -hmm. if I don't read it myself. So what I would encourage people to do is, you know, look at these, these views because right now I can tell you, I really don't know what I am Mm -hmm. and I don't, and that's okay. Yeah. I, well, I no, I do know what I am. I'm saved. Yes, and Amen. that's and that's all that matters. Yeah. That's Amen. all that matters. And but I can see some of the premillennial. See, if I can't even say the word, I don't know if I can be it though. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there is there is definite traction, in my opinion, especially for a classic premillennialist. There's a lot of scriptural traction there, right? And I I I give into that. And like I mentioned in the previous episode, I had to write a paper defending yep. classic premillennialism and amillennialism. And I got an A plus because I didn't know back then either. And so there's a lot of traction to it. Absolutely. Uh, but the one thing I would always suggest, and I really appreciate what you said, and I agree with you, uh, study the scriptures, but don't just study Revelation. Don't right. just study Daniel. You need to look at the whole of scripture. And this is where it gets tricky because you really have to look at all of Scripture to allow inter- Scripture to interpret Scripture. And so you have to be careful because it really requires a lot of biblical knowledge to be able to kind of discern some of these things. So you need um, to find someone that is, that, uh, 
is a theologian. Yeah. Or they would know they can they can help guide you because I, I haven't seen a, a Bibles for dummies. Yeah. Or anything like that. But yeah. but when you're talking about I mean we were talking earlier and you said, Well, you gotta flip back to the old testament here and that ex- and when yeah. you see it you're like, Wow. Yeah, and you, know. you just don't notice those things. And um, there's a couple different books that um, might help you, you know. Uh, one of them is, it's it's just a commentary on the book of Revelation. And it actually goes through and talks about all of the four different views. And I think it's extremely um, helpful. It was to me. You know, it's been written by Steve, uh, or Greg Steve was his name. Um, or is it Steve Gregg? Yeah, it's Steve Gregg. I'm sorry, I read it backwards. <laughs> His name is Steve Gregg, and it's called Revelation for Views. Um, and that's a pretty helpful picture. Okay. Uh, if you want a really good brief summary of an amillennial view, honestly, the Lutheran Study Bible put out by Concordia is actually a wonderful tool. Um, it expresses amillennialism in a very beautiful way. Um, it, it was That section was written by um, a theologian who wrote also a commentary that's probably about four inches thick, yeah. you know, on the book of Revelation. Yeah. And it's, in my opinion, it's one of the the most well-presented and represented view of amillennialism. And it's very biblical, very scriptural, and he gives a ton of scriptural evidence and support for that view. Um, for classic premillennialism, uh, there's a couple different books you can buy. But if you want more of a basic guide, uh, Miller J. Erickson wrote a book called A Basic Guide to Eschatology. Um, as you read the book, you can kind of tell he's premillennialist, and okay. he is, and he, you know, and you can kind of start to see that as you read through it. Um, but it, it classic, does get classic pre, premillennialist. Um, that I don't know. I haven't gotten that far okay. into the book. Right. I just kind of read the history just to kind of brush up. I read the book a long time ago, but I honestly just don't remember. Okay. I'm sorry. So. Um, I I went to seminary and my seminary teacher taught us the classic premillennial view. Uh, the pastor, my pastor at that time in the Lutheran Church I was attending, also was a classic premillennialist, and uh, we talked in a great deal about it. And I, I would probably say I entered seminary kind of thinking that along those lines that I was like I'm probably a classic premillennialist. But the more I studied and the more I read scripture and the more I learned Greek and the more I learned Hebrew and I didn't learn Aramaic, but I've got some tools to help interpret it. And looking at Daniel in the context of Scripture, looking at Ezekiel in the context of Scripture, and Zechariah, you know, and some of those Old Testament ones, and then looking at that, you know, through the lens of the New Testament, Christ's church, and then Revelation, I actually became became slowly amillennial, and it took probably about eight years. And then one day I just kind of woke up and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I believe this, because it just seems to be, in my opinion, the most scripturally supported view. Right. However... Again, as I said, a classic premillennial view has a great deal of traction. Okay, yeah. Well, I would I would say um, to anybody listening that um, this is all I mean, all very interesting, and and it's actually more fun to sit and listen to two or three people that really have um, different views, mm-hmm. but they're not like dug in and going to argue. Yeah. Just having a conversation yeah. to where you can learn that. Yeah. But um, you should study the Scripture. You should find someone to help you to, to study the Scripture. You should always pray before you study the Scripture oh, and ask, for, ask Christ to help you because it, it's just so... I mean, there's sometimes I... Have you ever read a, a Scripture? And it's like, oh, okay, da-da-da-da. And then 
a year later you read it and it meant something totally different to oh, you? Oh, absolutely. The text I just preached on today, where it's a Sunday afternoon and I just preached on John chapter 20 and Thomas and how he's like, I'm, I'm never going to believe unless I, I see the marks in Jesus' hand and I put my finger in, in, in the hole or put my hand in his side. I'll never believe. Yep. And I, I was kind of hard on Thomas for a long time, but I'm like, you know what? He's just being honest about his struggle. Right. And I just appreciated that honesty because a lot of times we end up being actors in a play and we just kind of pretend we're Christians, but inside we have some deep-seated concerns and issues. And when I read that text this week, I was like, I just appreciate that honesty right. because Christ gave him exactly what he needed. Now, granted, he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, and that's good. Right. That's for us. Right. But God will give us what we need. It's just not going to maybe happen right away. And as I wanted to come down on a particular view, and my instructor encouraged me to do that, I just kind of allowed it to happen slowly. And so don't be in a hurry. Um, be careful who you listen to. Right. Um, if that person isn't willing to say that they might be wrong, I would say don't listen to them. If someone says it has to be this way, ah, I don't think there's anyone that can say that for sure. And that's the mistake the Pharisees made with the prophecies of Jesus. And they missed the Messiah who was standing right in front of them because right. of their pride yep. and their arrogance. And so please be careful. Approach this book with humility, but always understand that the primary purpose of Revelation is to reveal Jesus as the great warrior king, yep. who has not only won the victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil through the cross and resurrection and the ascension, but who will one day come again as the unbeatable, undefeatable warrior king who will bring God's justice on earth and bring those who are his home to live with them forever. And right. that is most certainly true. Absolutely. And if, if you're talking with someone and they don't finish their conversation with, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And that's the, that's the most important thing. We're, we know where we're going to end up. Yeah. And if you believe in Jesus Christ in your heart, yeah. um, you, will, you are saved. Yeah. The assurance of, of salvation, the assurance of faith in Christ Jesus is the primary purpose of the gospel. And when we understand that Christ has set us free, that freedom then enables us to live a life that's dedicated to, to God, that we can have the joy of the Lord as our strength. We don't have all of the pieces of the puzzle to the end times, but we don't need them because we trust God and we know that we serve a God who keeps his promise. Awesome. Well, if, uh, if you're listening today and you, you, you still have more questions, uh, we have a Facebook. Um, send some questions on Facebook and, or find someone that you trust and, and, or find a, a good uh, Bible-believing church and get in there. And this is, uh, this is a topic that uh, very wise people mm-hmm. have differences on. Absolutely. And uh, for us to think we're going to sit here and uh, change the world on this, on this podcast, and, and that wasn't what the intention is of yeah. this anyway. It's just to tell these are the views that are out there and you have to make up your mind where you fall. Yeah. So. But then again, you know, just reminding that Christ has won the victory and he will most certainly return. And uh, by that is just the greatest comfort of all. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please check us out on Instagram and Facebook and feel free to leave a comment or suggested topic. Please join us next week as we start our discussion on relationships. Thank you and God bless.